Hi, it's Joe. Hi, friends. Aislinn here. And we want to welcome you to the second half of Season 3 of Dinner Table Talks. We are so glad that you are here at our table with us, and we are looking forward to all of the great talks that we're going to have. If you enjoy what you hear, tell a friend. Grab a drink and get your most comfortable chair. Pull it up to the table because we're about to get into it. part of the podcast where I remind everyone that I need your help in prayers for rain because we didn't get a drop since last week or since two weeks ago when I think is when I first asked for it Mm. and the reason why this is really important is because it's not just getting our plants in the ground and our seeds are there and we need them to have some moisture for germination and then we need to not have to be overspray watering all the time for costs but also because we had a massive windstorm. We had one big day of wind, and then one day that was actually a windstorm that went through the night. And I mean, it was, it woke me up at one point. It actually reminded me of that night when we went to sleep with the hurricane outside. Mm. It's like, okie dokie, I'll just be going to sleep now. I still don't know how you guys fell asleep so easily. It took me a while to get there. Yeah. We're at the end of our winter, Mm -hmm. which means a lot of our trees and grass is dead right pieces of it even if the whole tree isn't dead like portions of the tree are dead sure the stuff that falls off of it from winter freezing right so then we have these high winds and all of a sudden super high temperatures like it went up to 92 degrees one day so when that happens you have grass fires that start and the windstorm blows them through our properties so fast that we are having a lot of fires around mm-hmm. in portions of Texas. Um, yeah, uh, big about 50 storms. miles away from here, we've got a big brush fire going that they've been trying to control for several days. And my best friend's barn at their farm property actually burned down. Jeez. So it's that close. Like it's friends watching it and being like, do I need to leave my house? You know, we've heard these stories about fires from California and we've heard right, stories right, about right. fires all the time. The big fires that were going through Austin one year. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much just that we're encouraging rain so that our seeds do well so we the farmers don't have to spend as much of our money on watering with our you know it's loss of life like real loss of life when we have fires that we can't control just burning through property and then also loss of you know people's things too so do that rain dance please do the rain dance it's very important well the chickens are getting plenty of water and food. Yeah, well. I went out last night to collect the eggs. And I know there's people that listen that have more chickens than we do. But for us and our journey with chickens, I got 21 eggs yesterday. Yeah. I need more egg cartons. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> All of a sudden, we'll have stacks and stacks of egg cartons. <laughs> yes. Yes, friends. And welcome, by the way, to the dinner table. <laughs> exactly. We're so glad that you're here. And if you've got egg cartons, yeah, bring them on over next time you come. If you happen to know where we are. And last week, we gave an invitation to come to where we are. Oh, yeah. Totally did. <laughs> we so did. So we're super excited about this big launch of the Dinner Table Talk Salon. Recreating the podcast. Uh-huh. With you in the room with us. We are going to treat you to a dinner that we make and have all of the lively conversations that you hear us have here every week. Exactly. It's going to be on Friday, May 6th in the evening. Send us a DM if you're interested in getting the link and looking at a little bit more information about that. And as we said last week, we're going to just talk about it here for a couple more weeks. And then when we launch it publicly, it'll sell out in a heartbeat. That's what happens. It's a small table and it works out to have a very nice intimate crowd. And we look forward to hearing your coming. Oh, I can't wait. 
<laughs> and then we have this notion. I'm putting the call out. This is where you, through the Instagram, through our Dinner Table Talks Facebook page, go to our website and email us. If you know where we are and you see us. You mean like in their dreams? <laughs> I mean like if you see us out at Lazy Beach eating crawfish. Oh, yeah. Talking to friends and you're like, I think that's Joe and Aislinn over there. I have a sausage recipe that I want to give them. This is a perfect opportunity. That's exactly right. So I had asked... Give me your sausage recipes. My freezer's full of sausage. In fact, next week, I'm going to buy another meat box from Turkey Hollow Farms. It's time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have some sausage in there. They're coming to the farm for one of my farm events that's coming up. And so I'm super excited because we're going to have a farm store, like a co-op farm store. So thank you for all of the replies. And keep them coming because plenty of sausage. Pam on our Facebook page kind of gives the baseline. She says, I like it simple. Cut your sausage up in one inch pieces or slice into circles. Brown in the skillet. Add chopped green pepper and onion. Sweat the vegetables. Stir in canned diced tomatoes or use chopped fresh. Add seasoning to your taste. Can be chili powder or oregano, she says. Add some water, cover, and steam for 20 minutes. Now, to me, that's like a nice, sounds really good, basic sausage and peppers recipe. Pam is also a gardener and a homesteader. So she basically lives the life we live, which makes sense that she would have, okay, here's the basic, this is what you do, because you're going to have to figure out ways to use all those vegetables and the sausage on a regular basis. Now, this is something I would easily have made before. Serve it with some tortillas, serve it over rice. But I know it's not your, okay. I was about to say, I know it's not your favorite. No, I just don't want it all the time. I like to eat sausage, but I want sausage to become like interesting in all different ways. I want to have sausage tacos, but then I also want to have sausage soup. Well, let me distill it down to two recipes I intend on trying. A borscht recipe. Okay. Where a buddy of ours, David, cut up some locally processed sausage to use within a borscht. I've never made a borscht before. Mm -hmm. So I like this double challenge of it. Well, I'm growing beets and I expect that I should have beets end of April or May. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a little warm to eat borscht in May, but. (laughs) Hey man, it's using what you have when you have it. That's exactly right. Then that Zuppa Doscana that you talked about last week, you Mm -hmm. said it was one of your favorite types of soups. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make that very soon as well. Good. So tonight you're doing Pam's recipe? Do you want me to? Yes. Okay. I love it. Oh, by the way, so that you can recognize me, I'm purple instead of red now. Unanswered questions. If you're new to the podcast, Unanswered Questions is the time of the podcast when we answer all of the things that we didn't know the answers to last week. Yes, because Aislinn's always going to tell you all kinds of things as if she knows it and is always right. And Joe likes to correct her. My favorite. That's not what's happening. (laughs) It's totally what's happening. But that's okay. Because he proves me right about 75% of the time. I made that statistic up. One thing was just what is tapache exactly. Okay. This is a continuation of the gut health conversation that we've had over the last couple of weeks. Yes. We've talked about kombucha a lot. And we've made kombucha at our home. I drink kombucha almost every day. Kombucha is a fermented tea, and the fermenting agent is this spongy mass called a SCOBY, which is a self-contained organism of bacteria and yeast. Uh Uh-huh. And when you pour the kombucha off, you leave behind a little bit with the new fresh tea and water. That's the starter for the next cycle. Mm-hmm. Tapache, which some friends of ours had made for us once before, is a fermented beverage made from the peel and rind of pineapples. Okay. There is no SCOBY. Okay. So the next time we have a pineapple. Okay. Tell me, how do you cut up a pineapple? I cut the top off because I'm going to replant the top. Right. And then we cut the sides off of it right. and throw them away. No, we don't. Now we make tapache. Now out we're going to make tapache. It sounds so easy. 
perfect. The peel and the rind of pineapples, a little bit of brown sugar or sugar, a little bit of cinnamon or a cinnamon stick, and maybe a couple whole cloves. Cool. Put it into a pitcher. Pour water over it. Cover that with cheesecloth and then let it sit for 24 hours. You're going to have a white foam on top of it that you're going to scoop off after the 24 hours. Then you're going to put the cheesecloth back on and let it rest for another two or three days. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Unless you want like a pineapple vinegar to make like a pickled chipotle pepper or something. Hmm. Because if you continue to let it ferment, it would just turn into a vinegar. But at that two or three day mark, you strain it. You pour it over ice, taste it, maybe add a little more sugar if you want to, or maybe you dilute it, cut it up a little bit with just some clean water, and you've got yourself tapache. It's a little bubbly. It's a little bit alcoholic, just a tad. So we want to know if you've ever tried tapache, mm-hmm. and we want to know if you've ever made tapache, because we have an audience of people that are like into this stuff, you know? Of course We've we got a couple of kombucha <laughs> makers listening right now. Exactly. And I bet you've made tapache if you make kombucha. I never have. I can't wait to get a pineapple in the house now. Well, it's about that time of the year. The article that I got all that information from continues, fermented beverages like tapache, as well as fermented foods, help the community of friendly bacteria, fungi, and other microorganisms known as the microbiome inside your body, inside your gut, Mm -hmm. to thrive. Mm -hmm. A local engineering firm hired me to come and speak at lunch at a lunch and learn thing the other day. So I'm in here talking to these folks about the micro and the macrobiomes Mm -hmm. and like all of the different ways that they affect each other. In the soil, in the air, in our guts, on our skin, on the plants, and how water transfers microbiome from one plant to the other, and how air, and this conversation of understanding the micro and macrobiotics of everything is the new age, cutting edge, like scientific research. We're learning so much. I mean, technology and all that stuff, of course, too. But this is the pinnacle of growth in human consciousness and science now. Yeah, go back and listen to the last couple episodes. This has been the thread. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to sew up right about now until... Are you trying to get it over with? No, no it's I just, never going to sew up because no, we're just, always going to talk. I'm doing a sugar fat. Well, I'm lowering the amount of sugar that I eat significantly. Purposefully. Absolutely. And I'm going to actively work at it every single day to decrease the amount of sugar. And I'm not even talking about like doing a hard sugar fast because I'm not even ready for that. Mm-hmm. I just have to stop being a sugaraholic. I texted you, how can I help you with this? For example, I guess I'm not buying any more chocolate at the grocery store. And you wrote, you can't help me. I have to make the decision. It doesn't matter if it's in the house or not. I have to make the decision Mm -hmm. to not eat it or to eat it and to figure out what is a balance that is appropriate and not addiction. Then we made that za'atar chicken spinach pasta last week. Mm -hmm. And an ingredient in a homemade za'atar, this spice blend that we discussed, is sumac. Mm -hmm, I've never, mm -hmm. I don't know much about sumac. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I asked questions about sumac. Sumac is a spice that is popular in the Middle East. It is related to the poisonous shrub by the same name. But the culinary variety safe to eat and use is identifiable by its red berries. Poisonous sumac has white berries. We grow that here. I bet. That's why I, that's what made me think it was some kind of grain because I recognize the name of that plant. So it's one of the shrubs we plant everywhere. Well, in your upcoming forage and farm tour where you go through the farm uh-huh. and look for different types of edible things, yeah. the white sumac, poisonous. <laughs> Well, that's the funny thing about making that tour around in the back back there was that he was like, if you get the, this one, this is poisonous, but this is its sister. And it's kind of the same thing even with annual vegetables. Like this is a wild carrot and it's poisonous. 
But this is a healthy carrot. There's wild carrots that are poisonous? Yes, but it doesn't actually form the big giant root, which is the part that we eat. Right. It just forms the the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Parsnips are in the carrot family, but if you eat the leaves of a parsnip, those are poisonous. The root of the parsnip is safe. And it's all in the same family. So that's how it all works. My God, we learned so much at the dinner table. <laughs> so the red berries, not the white ones, are turned into a coarse powder and sold as a ground spice. That spice was not available at our nice size grocery store that's got a pretty good spice area. Sumac is a versatile seasoning that adds a bright red color and a tartness similar to lemon juice. Remember, I didn't have sumac, so I replaced it with lemon zest. Uh huh. One of the most common uses for sumac is in the spice blend called... Zatar. There you go. Makes sense. Then the question I hope we would get an answer to, and that was us asking the executive director of an organization in town, a contemporary art collective in town called K-Space, what they would do with a windfall of $100,000. Yeah. After our random question of the week last week, what philanthropic organization would you give $100,000 to if you had it and could? Mm -hmm. She answered. Of course she did. She said, what an amazing windfall that would be. So the fir- Putting it out there, putting it out there, putting it out there. So the first thing I would do is hire another person. Of course. That was the answer I said when I said, if I was the executive director of Grow Local South Texas, it's always going to be staff. <laughs> we need more staff, but cannot afford to hire at the moment. We have been wanting to take in the second floor of the building that they use to create more studios, an artist-in-residence program, and a workshop space for our teen mural arts program and other classes. My daughter did that teen mural uh, summer camp a couple years in a row. Yeah, they do good stuff over there. This would enable us to expand our education program, reach more people, and add more public art to the city. I could go on, but this is at the top of my list. Thanks for thinking of us, and I look forward to hearing the podcast. I hope y'all are doing well. Much love. That's fun. I like that conversation, and Grow Local South Texas just celebrated the 10th anniversary of the Corpus Christi Downtown Farmer's Market, Mm -hmm. and I was there and got to give a quick little speech about just what it meant to me that I had watched a community of families grow up over the last 10 years as a part of a thriving, growing healthy food system because I ended up deciding to volunteer for what would call what they called the veggie voucher booth, which is where the kids come and give us their zip code and their age. And we give them five fake dollars that are actually like real dollars. They go spend money at the farmers. This is a very important program they do mm-hmm. that I helped create that takes corporate money and creates marketing, provides food in the family's hands, but also children get to be a part of the conversation while my farmers get money into their hands and they sell their produce that they need to sell to keep doing what they're doing. And I know, I know that the farmers always bring like kid-friendly produce that yeah, week. Yeah, sugar snap peas and carrots and strawberries, things that go really fast like that. And so a child gets their $5 and then can go buy their own produce. Yep, that's, exactly. And that's what we tell them. And they come sense. up, we talk to the kid, we talk to the kids and we tell them, this is for you. And you go spend your money and they're like like dollars and I'm like exactly like five dollars and they're like wow and so they get these um in their hand and here I am behind this thing and this is the best place for me because I've got to burn off some like you know energy anyways of just like being at the farmer's market and drinking coffee and just being Aislinn and a big crowd, which I'm so empathic that I just kind of, I vibe on like all the like activity and Mm -hmm. the energy going on. And I could say as an observer that it's one of those events that a lot of people look you up to bend your ear. 
what ha- ends up happening is I just keep talking. Like I just never stop talking for like three hours. But you, so you were at the veggie voucher booth. Yeah. And I am seeing all these kids. And this one mom comes up and she like literally says, holds her hand over her daughter's head and says, this is the 10 year embodiment of a child eating farmer's market food. That is so freaking cool. Mm-hmm. And it just feels good. And the thing about all of that is this concept of leaders leading leaders and collaboration and community efforts and growing leaders and growing access to affordable food. This is a movement. It truly is. And I'm so grateful to have been trusted enough with my delusional ideas of what we had to get accomplished <laughs> to create this thing that we needed. And 10 years later, I can walk away now and I can just come and enjoy the event and I can be a volunteer at the event and I can go home. And the kids that I've watched grow up at the farmer's market come to a farm event here. The thing is, is it the whole like growth of being involved in these community collaborative, nonprofit, grassroots startup, because the executive director that you spoke to, she's the original founder of mm-hmm. K-Space. Um, And there may have been, like, I don't know the whole story there. There may have been lots of other founders, kind of like there was with us as well, because I get called the founder. But the truth of the matter is, is that I just led the founders. That's all that happened because there was a multiple. You were an example of that. Several of the executive board members that were standing with me in the pictures are are founders. These are the things that make cities more vibrant to live in. And a service that's not tax-oriented that can benefit the community, be it contemporary art, right? That's on one side of the spectrum, or a local food system. Both are important, but being with Grow Local and on the board of other types of philanthropic organizations over the years, the need for dollars is just this constant pressure. Yeah. Yeah to deliver this thing that the community finds valuable. And I think there's a disconnect at some point in the in the life cycle of these organizations of the community moving from this is important to have to this is just something we take for granted that we do have. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic, I mean, crippled a lot of these organizations because they rely on groups getting together in a room and there being some kind of admission, mm-hmm. admission fee. Mm-hmm. And that dried up at that time. I have an idea. Why don't we do a fundraiser on our Facebook page for Grow Local and K-Space for a nominal amount of money just to put it all together? You know what I mean? That'd be fun. How long do we run it? Let's run it for a while. Well, how much money are we trying to raise? $2,200 split between two organizations. Is that a goal that that we'll meet? I don't know. 2022. Yes. We'll raise twenty two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Give half of it to Grow Local, uh-huh. half of it to K Space. Uh-huh. I can do that. However long it takes, it takes. Yep. I love it. Yeah. Well, it happened again. You sent me a recipe out of the blue, and I said, "Fine." <laughs> I was going to make a steak and a baked potato and a salad. Yeah. Hardly dinner table talk podcast fare. Well, and I also have like this giant bag of spinach in the refrigerator and we've got turnips in the mm-hmm. refrigerator. I mean, like we got vegetables, man. You got to like incorporate. Well, you said, uh, excuse me, I've got the turnips. Let's make the turnip mashed potatoes. And mm-hmm. I did. You can go back and listen to that on a previous episode. I know that people have tried that. So if you've tried it, tell us what you think. And that's episode 1.27, garlic turnip mashed potatoes. And yeah, if you want me to do a side with spinach, I'm totally down. But why don't you come up with a recipe? You sent spinach balls. 
spinach balls. And I was like, is this going to be too complicated? What do you think about this? Because I'm like, a salad, mashed potatoes, a steak. How about this interesting little thing that's like an appetizer, kind of? Push pause. Go to our Facebook page where I have posted the recipe for the spinach balls and make them right now. Agreed. It starts with wilting your spinach under boiling water. You take your spinach, you trim it, you wash it, you put it into a container, and you pour boiling water over it, Mm -hmm. put a lid on it, timer for three minutes, drain the water, cool it off. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to make like steamed spinach, like that. Okay. You should try making it that way sometime. So I squeeze out all of the water Mm -hmm. with my hand, just like a stress ball, Mm -hmm. along with my beaten eggs, my grated mozzarella, A lot of your chopped parsley. Yeah, I've got a lot of pretty parsley right now. Garlic, salt, and then gluten-free breadcrumbs. You make a mash. Uh You make your balls. You put it in the oven. They reminded me of they like were the, so good. They reminded me of the like the the Cheddar Bay biscuits, From but Red with Lobster. spinach in them. Yeah. And those of you guys that have been practicing gluten free choices for a while, you've probably had those like Brazilian cheese bites. Are like supposed to be bread, but it's mostly cheese, and they're so delicious. It tastes like that, but with spinach in it. Yeah, the Just recipe like, says serve hot, and I understand because when I went back and picked one up off the uh, later, uh-huh. and it was cooled off completely. It wasn't bad. No. It just had a completely different mouthfeel and experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suggest that we make those or that you help me make those for the Plowman's Lunch that we're doing at the April 16th farm event. Yeah, that totally, yeah, totally. It would be totally. something that would be taken to the field. Just something that got a little extra carby snack that got thrown in. I stuck them on a plate with a little dipping bowl of our homemade ranch dressing, served yep. it to us. That was an appetizer and then that steak, the turnip mashed potatoes, and a beautiful salad with even more ranch. Make those spinach balls today. Well, the Oscars were last Sunday. (laughs) Yes, they were. (laughs) I'm a movie freak. We know this. This is established. A few weeks ago, we did my top five films of 2021, which led into a multi-episode conversation about horror movies. And the preparation movies for the Oscars coming up. So, you know. So what happens in our city, and this is at the Cinemark chain of movie theaters, they have a week of the Oscars. So the week leading up to the Sunday of the Oscars, they play all of, in this case, this year, 10 Best Picture nominees. Mm -hmm. If you missed them, you can go see them again at the theater. But they also do the live action and the animated short films that are nominated. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know that I helped co-create a short film festival here in town a thousand years ago. (laughs) I love short film. So I asked uh, you and Savannah if y'all wanted to go with me to see. Now, I thought we were getting a ticket to watch all 10 films, five animated, five live. But when we got there, we realized this ticket's just for the live action. Mm -hmm. And as we sat down, I said, I don't know anything about these movies, by the way. Mm -hmm. I just know that they're the five Oscar-nominated best short films of the year from all over the world. Mm -hmm. That was an experience. (laughs) That was a very harsh experience. Harsh. (laughs) There's a lot of energy going on in a room watching five films like that. And I can feel all that energy. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to keep my eyes closed. I had to hold my breath. I had to take deep breaths. But I was intent upon being there. It was a thing. And I wasn't really expecting it. And we're finding that a lot more when we go to the movies. (laughs) This is not where I want to be right now. I have to watch for my podcast that I do with a couple of buddies where we talk about movies and beer, beer and a movie, two movies a week. 
I love it when we can watch one or both of them together. Yes. But we watch everything. Right. And we watch things that I know, especially if you go back to those conversations we had just yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah. There are certain types of movies that you are just not going to connect with. And there's no reason for me to even suggest to you that you watch them. Right. Even I was struck at how those five short films that range from like 10 minutes to 20 minutes each mm -hmm. dealt with heavy stuff. And even though I knew when we were sitting there that I wonder if Aislinn's reacting in some kind of not positive way with this content, at least it'll be over in five to 10 minutes. And then the next one would start. And now we're going to see, you know, a sexual assault. It's like, oh God. It was just thing after thing after thing. And it's real life that's going on in the world. I mean, basically a cinematic description of what they see mm -hmm. happening in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And it was horrific. Truly, like that's real life. Um, we're showing you what real life is so that you need to know real life. And it's very painful. It's hard on me. Like it makes me sick to sit through that kind of stuff. Right. And I just simply can't do it anymore. I don't, I don't, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And it has made me take a serious look yet again at like my media consumption and everything. And I, and I'm talking about all of it because the bitch slap heard around the world. Right. The morning after that happened, I had seen it at night, like that it had happened like, Oh, that was interesting. Okay. And then go to bed and then wake up the next morning. And it's the conversation that's occurring. And I'm just like, I can't be, I can't, it's too painful for me. It's too painful. I'm just, I've, I've got to like cut it all out. And so then I went through my media stream and it was just like everybody, everybody. every single, per but everybody that talked about it, I snoozed for 30 days because I'm like, if that's what you're talking about, I don't give a crap if you're just making a joke about it. I can't. So like even us talking about it on the podcast, to me, going all the way back to the films, it's just changed so much of my media content then we had a conversation after we got out of the short films about like, what is it that that's winning awards, you know, and I wonder what's going to win. And then we think about, well, like what's going to win the best picture. And then Coda wins the best picture. And Coda was truthfully before I saw, come on, come on. I would have said it was my favorite. I said it was my favorite movie of the entire year. I loved that movie so much. That movie felt made me feel so good in so many ways. And it's interesting to me, the choices that we're making, and even to the point of a celebrity on stage slapping another celebrity is the kind of pain entertainment we're watching, participating in. It's my, it had me upset all week. My attitude over that Chris Rock, Will Smith thing has really changed over the course of the week. And it is fascinating to me that popular culture takes such enthusiasm and glee in meme after meme after meme after meme after story after story after story after story of that event. I understand it because that's the self-fulfilling duality cycle of the media cycle. Find out what people are interested in and then give them more stories about it. And then they will remain interested and this cycle continues. The next day, me and the guys got together to record beer in a movie. And of course, we're going to talk about that. And the conversation went off the rails. It was uncharacteristic mm -hmm. for us how heated mm -hmm. we got, mm -hmm. how different our opinions were, mm -hmm. and how strong I was, like how, how 
right I knew that I was, and so did the others, and how we were unwilling to listen to one another's opinions mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. It didn't sit well with any of us, and we ended up not airing that segment because we didn't like what had come out of the conversation. But my shift in the whole thing was, what if I'm not right? I have, I have to use this as a learning experience or society has to use it as a learning experience. I think for me, it's the conversation at all. Because the thing that was going on this last week was a whirlwind of bread and circus. Give folks cheap bread and some kind of event to distract them from the policy making that is occurring or distract them from other things that are occurring. To me, it's that concept of we're just getting wound up. So we're paying attention to that rather than paying attention to other things. And to me, this is all an energetic whirlwind. So even the conversation that you guys, of course, you guys had an energetic whirlwind about this because Mm -hmm. this is, that's what it was. That's what this week was. We had a whirlwind occur just like in the month of March was a whirlwind of we had a war start, right? Celebrities are slapping each other on stage. You're getting into a conversation debating your opinions about this pain entertainment thing that occurred and creating a whirlwind of like energy that you guys didn't even feel good enough to put out into the world because you were smart enough and and thoughtful, empathic enough to go that we don't like this whirlwind we created, Mm -hmm. right? That's what I've been talking about where it comes to the pain entertainment. But the thing about it is, is that it got us so wound up, bread and circuses, in this thing over here. We're not even having the real conversation about food shortages that the president is talking about. We have got to get control of the fires that are whirlwinding and blowing through our spirits and our culture and our systems and our everything because we're creating the problem right here around ourselves. All my shift is going away from pain as entertainment. Mm -hmm. Pain is not entertaining. I don't need to go watch five movies about how painful it is to be a human on this planet where we rape, enslave, kill for all kinds of reasons. Falsely imprison. Yes. I do not need to know that's how bad we can be. I can feel it already. I can feel it. And I don't need to know all the different form versions of ways that we've created ways to massacre uh, each other. And so I'm not interested in participating in it anymore. It makes me sick. Literally, I had a bad week because of exactly what we're talking about. That's not true. I didn't have a bad week. I had a challenging week because of the energy that the world is going through. I can feel all of it. Yeah. When I began looking into the concept and etymology of bread and circus, the term, the powers that be giving just enough sustenance and just enough entertainment to distract most people from what they really need to be thinking about. Yes. And let's say that the Will Smith thing wasn't orchestrated. Okay. So I'm not saying there's a conspiracy theory and somehow and blah, 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 bread and circuses. But what I'm saying is the moment the media or anybody in a place of needing us to be distracted realizes there's something to distract us with, they grab it as quickly as they can. So you asked me the question about the war, whether or not I thought the war was being created by the media, a stage show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think the part you're seeing in the media is the stage show. 
And there's a whole lot of other things, layers upon layers of things that are going on over there that are not what's actually happening in the media. Oh, I don't disagree with you there at all. Pick a news network and assume that there are people that watch that news network all day. I know that we can make that assumption because I see that happening with people in my own life. And I'm not talking a partisan this or that. I'm saying just pick one. Doesn't matter which one. That person's quote unquote news is what this organization, whose job it is to make money, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. is telling them. So there's two things here. I don't know how deeply we want to unpack them. Number one, media organizations jamming things down our throat. But number two, what society at large can't get enough information about. Forget the news organizations that are telling you stories about it. Things like Twitter, where there's immediate reaction and trending of what people are quote unquote talking about. When that happened, it's like a needle scratch occurred on a record in the world of kind of pop culture and entertainment, which in America is a big deal. Pop culture, mm-hmm. popular conversation. Popular culture. I want to be popular. I want to be in the popular conversation. So I'm going to talk about what all the popular kids are talking about. And the popular kids are the ones that have money and control the conversations that are happening in the media. So you have to make Mm. a hard, I mean, generally speaking, you have to make a hard decision to say, I just don't care if it's popular. In fact, if you're drawing that to you right now, then there's probably other things in your stream. I can tell in the conversation that when you refer to media, you're talking about like old school media things, but you're talking about Facebook, yes, too. But the thing is, is that we are media now. Every individual that has a stream now how big is your stream and how big how, is your influence? Yeah. How big is your influence and like how powerful is your energy that you put out? If you put together a podcast like we do and you put together almost 150 podcast episodes and you've got regular listeners all over the, the world, podcast, all over the world, thank you. you're putting out a little bit more energetic power. Yes. I completely understand what you mean. Each individual is a spice in a soup. Mm-hmm. And if all of us are salty, the soup is salty. Mm-hmm. And if all of us are sweet, the soup is sweet. Mm-hmm. We are seem to be in this weird whirlpool of salty. I'm using salt. There you go. I'm using salty as the negative one. Although I love some salt in my food. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's a constant balance of, and that's the reason why the way that I handled it, for the most part, mm-hmm. was that I snoozed everyone that talked about it because I was like, you know what? I'm going to remove that offending flavor from my soup. Just for now. Yeah. And and when it comes back, I will have forgotten anyways that I, you know, whatever. And if something beautiful that they post later on, because there were people on there usually are posting like super like in the stream, high vibe, like good stuff that I was like, they were in it. I was like, man, you got caught. And I get caught by things too. And I hope that if I'm affecting you in that way, seriously, if I'm affecting you that way, snooze me for 30 days, but then come back because I shift streams and I get back on course all the time. And so that is where a lot of the grace comes in. And that is where we start like looking at those things and just making conscious decisions where we say out loud, I'm not going to go to pain entertainment anymore. Now that doesn't mean you won't catch me from time to time in pain entertainment because I'm in the world like everyone else. And there's certain things that I like and I've been taught to like that are popular and I'm going to go check them out. And I'm going to be like, nope, I'm done with that. I don't want to do that anymore. And in the meantime, baby, I'm going to bring home all kinds of positive movies for us to watch together. Please do. You got it. Well, hey, while we're in this intellectual vibe, why don't you kick over a question that we can deep dive into? 
All right, baby. This is random question of the week for our new listeners. It's a random question I've every liked, week. I've liked how these have been coming together because last week it gets us talking about the we're going to raise twenty two hundred dollars for exactly, some people. Exactly. Exactly. Get your wallets out, folks. Yeah, man. Come on. What's your favorite word to say out loud? I think it's like. <laughs> oh, are you talking about editing the podcast? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so. <laughs> and so. And like. <laughs> like. Like. Sometimes I just get like certain words what? stuck Sometimes in me. Sometimes you get what? I get like stuck <laughs> with certain words like stuck in me. Like is a very common brain placeholder as you attempt to find the other word. And it's people that can't stop talking and just keep talking that like want to make sure you can't take the floor back. So they just say like ums and likes in, the, in between to hold the floor. Like is not your favorite word to say out loud. No, like What's your not. favorite word to say out loud? I don't know. I've never thought about that before. That's why it's the random question of the week. I know your favorite word. It's mycorrhizal fungi. I do like that word a lot. I know lot. you do. You love saying that mycorrhizal word Mycorrhizal fungi. I love to say that word. But There's other words in the garden that I like to say like that too. When I learn, that's the thing. When I learn a word, you know this about me. All of a sudden, that word is peppered in everywhere. Like, I, I learned a new word. And if it's irritating <laughs> me, I'll try to annoy you on purpose by saying, who taught you that? <laughs> oh, you fucker. <laughs> but seriously, my favorite word is love. I The reason I say that is because I know that I have, over the years, worked very diligently to understand what my mind is saying to myself all of the time. And so because my mind speaks all kinds of crazy things that I don't want it to speak to myself, I have worked very diligently to teach myself to say, I am love. And so I've been saying for like years since Cortland was born, I am love, I am love, I am love, I am love. So I'm like, I can't imagine that there's another word that I just like purposefully say all of the time. Like purposely say? Like purposefully say. Like purposefully. But I do like mycorrhizal fungi. My favorite is so less philosophical than yours. I just like to say it. And it's one of those words that you don't find yourself having the opportunity to say very often. What's that? Onomatopoeia. Oh, that's so cliche. When you said, oh, that was an onomatopoeia. Bread and Circus. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> what's up with that? What's up with that? Oh, what's up with that? <laughs>